this structure has worked and it's been really, really useful for the way that we teach and perhaps has actually been more effective than how we used to teach in the purely didactic lecture format. So welcome to this episode of the Leeds podcast. Today I'm joined by two of my colleagues from in Leeds who've been teaching over the last few weeks when we've been dealing with the flip to teaching in a more remote and online fashion. So if you guys want to tell us who you are and what your role is. So my name is Stuart Purcell and I'm the Effective Learning Advisor for the College of Arts. And I'm Alina Koristashevska. I am the Effective Learning Advisor for the College of Social Sciences. And together, Stuart and I, we run um, a range of workshops, one-to-ones and in-course provision throughout the year for undergraduate and postgraduate taught students in our respective colleges. So I was saying there that you've already been doing a lot of teaching over these last few weeks. So Stuart, what's your teaching load been like and what sort of students have you seen? So throughout the summer, we run a range of classes focused on postgraduate taught students who are currently undertaking their dissertations. So normally we'd run that uh, obviously in a classroom environment throughout the summer, but with the COVID environment, we've had to change that uh, and rethink our approach to that. So we've been running them throughout the summer in a seven week programme. And so how have you found that you've had to adapt your teaching? Uh, What sort of things have you had to do differently, Melina? So one of the things that I found in having to deliver uh, a couple of workshops that were in course provision that were scheduled to happen just as the lockdown started. And because of the short kind of turnaround for those, I had to essentially quickly adapt and deliver them online using Zoom. So I delivered them as purely didactic online lectures to a cohort of about 100 students. What I found the biggest challenge was getting student engagement. And obviously already in a lecture format, engagement is something that we need to work pretty hard to achieve. But when you're delivering that online, particularly to a larger group of students who aren't able to have their cameras on due to obviously bandwidth restrictions, etc., it's very difficult to then at the end of the session get some indication that the students were participating or even throughout the session making sure that they are keeping up with the content. Okay, great. And so how did you deal with that then? What's been your biggest innovation? So one of the the first things that we wanted to look at was the length of the session. Purely running a one hour um, online lecture through Zoom really isn't, uh, what we found wasn't a particularly useful way of uh, delivering that content because there's a much shorter limit of attention span when it comes to those Zoom online sessions. So the first thing that we looked at was our content and thinking about whether we are able to shorten the length of our classes in terms of the didactic delivery and really focus on some key themes from each of the sessions that we would typically run and deliver those in a shorter time frame with the target of a half an hour lecture. The second thing that we wanted to do is to make sure that there's an opportunity for students to engage in the session and by that we mean actually participate and get something from the experience of being online and in this live class. The other element that we wanted to kind of really address was the issue with regards to questions at the end of the lecture. Because students attend our classes in part to learn how to do their dissertations or other elements they're covering, but also in part to ask questions that they are either aren't able to um, get answers to from the research that they've done or to just double check that they are on the right path when it comes to dissertation. So uh, what we did with the Zoom setup as well, we had, um, as Lena had mentioned, uh, we started off 
with our uh, half an hour lecture, which kind of grew towards a 45 minute lecture as we learned and progressed with how the classes would work. Then we had our practical component, which was usually around 15, 20 minutes. And then we would have our question and answer session for around half an hour at the end. What we did with the Zoom setup for that is rather than having students having to leave and rejoin the meeting, is we just ran the meeting for a continuous one and a half hours. So we wanted to create a specific part of the, the, the session that was a question and answer kind of component. But using our experience of delivering those classes in the first few weeks of lockdown, it was clear that we weren't going to get that engagement by simply saying at the end of the lecture, right, does anyone have any questions? So one of the things that Stuart suggested and actually what we ended up using was having an in-between um, component to the series that involved a practical exercise. And I'll let Stuart sort of explain the rationale for that. So it was wanting to give them two particular things. Number one, giving them something to actually engage with, something that they can be working towards, particularly in regards to their dissertations. It wasn't just about giving them some sort of exercise to keep busy or to, to use the time. Putting that into practice in a way that actually helps these students work towards their dissertation or produce research towards their dissertation. And the second thing that it allows them to do by carrying out that practical activity, it also helps that student generate questions. It helps them, um, it gives them time to reflect on what we've discussed uh, in a way that's actually, we found far more beneficial than the kind of five minutes at the end of a, a didactic lecture where we ask, has anyone got any questions? And perhaps students are still very much processing the information that we've just delivered, uh, but also be producing work that we would build on each week. So then from a student's perspective, they come along to your session and they get content delivery essentially from you for a period of time. Then they go into maybe a breakout room with a colleague and then come back for the plenary Q&A. Is that right? So in practice, what, we, um, what happened was the conversion of our one hour lecture that we would run over um, those seven weeks in the summer, three times per week for the different sessions. In practice, what this changed to was a, a session that took one hour and a half with a half hour lecture, half hour practical exercise, and a half hour Q&A. We actually designed uh, placeholder slides that showcased the format for the sessions so that we could use those to signpost the way that we we're going to deliver those classes and as we moved from one phase so let's say the lecture to the practical exercise etc so we found that that visual those visual cues were helpful in showing students that there is a kind of a program and there is consideration in terms of how we're running this that it's not perhaps ad hoc of right let's do this uh, let, let's let's now do questions but rather that there was this new type of delivery that they um, that we were essentially using. And while over the weeks we found that perhaps having a 45-minute lecture and 15-minute practical exercise was better suited, the Q&A session um, was a really remarkable success, something that we hadn't anticipated going into this and found to be some, a, a part of the model that we're really going to build on going forward. Part of the reason for that, we started to build that rapport with the students, that kind of engagement that... Um, you might not necessarily get in a didactic lecture format. So by again, using these practical exercises and using that, that, um, that room for question answers and engagement, we were also kind of engaging with the students, which also made them more comfortable in asking questions. It sounds like a really uh, structured and nicely structured way of doing multiple things, of getting the students to think about what they're doing, but also realise that they're not 
sitting on their own in a room with no other people around them because they've got to talk in a sort of a community way. And so these are solo activities. They're not doing any group work at this stage. They're just essentially sitting there quietly waiting for the Q&A section to kick back up again. The rationale behind this was to give them the opportunity to work at their own pace or begin the exercise. It wasn't really um, with the, the notion of having students then report on what they have done because largely for most of the activities, it was unlikely that students would be able to complete them, but we wanted to sort of stimulate that activity and stimulate the kind of engagement with the content. So when it came to actually organising it and the technicalities and the practicalities, what sort of considerations did you have to think about, Stuart? So just following what I was saying there about the, the, the engagement with students, we made sure that we made good use of the, the Zoom chat function. So that was something that we wanted to really encourage. So at the start of each session, we obviously explained to students why their cameras and microphones were off and asked them to please uh, keep them off through the session, that instead of asking questions or, or um turning their cameras on and waving their hands, just type your questions into chat box. And that also allowed us to build up questions throughout the session, uh, allowing us to, to focus on uh, delivering a class. In a lecture, it's quite easy to pause and uh, answer a question and then pick back up where you were. For some reason on Zoom, that's just a lot harder to do. Uh, the other thing I would mention in terms of the practicality is that it's kind of related to this is that delivering a class like this or a class at this scale uh, by yourself as one individual academic is incredibly difficult to do. It's very, very hard to keep that focus and deliver a session in a, in a really engaging way while also trying to manage the administration of uh, a Zoom meeting, particularly if you're planning on using breakout rooms, using waiting rooms and so forth. So um, what Alina and I did is we used uh, our GTAs uh, to essentially manage the, all of the Zoom administration to allow us to focus on teaching. What we found, and this actually increased and we developed this as we went through the sessions, was that having a second person whose responsibility it is to look at the chat and look at the participants and engage with them, over time we kind of participated a lot more in developing that dialogue as a secondary component to the lecture, the practical exercise and the Q&A. So what I would do, for example, if Stuart was teaching was if he mentioned a particular text, if he mentioned a resource or a website, then I would put that in the chat and I would kind of start that discussion so that there's always activity there. And the GTAs similarly were essential in this because they would add their own perspectives of similarly having research and research experiences different to shirt and mine. So it became much more of an active component of the sessions rather than waiting for the end of the class to sort of really begin utilizing the chat. But that's only possible if there's a second person in there with you. We had our lecture slides up on the shared screen. And when we reached the practical exercise, we left that practical exercise slide up on the screen to give students uh, the reminder of what the practical exercise is. And Alina and myself, all we did was turn off our microphones and cameras. We told the students uh, how long they would have to work in the practical exercise, what time we would return. And then once we'd given the students some time to work on the exercise, to reflect on the material we've, we've delivered and to, to think about their own questions that they might have, again, entering those into the chat box um, as they occurred to them. We would then come back at the, the um, aforementioned time and then begin the 
question and answer session and what you're you're avoiding having to do there is student leaving and rejoining the meeting and you're just helping yourself avoid a lot of potential technical issues um, and having that holding screen there I think you're much more you're much more inclined to have students stay one of the one of the surprising consequences of this we had anticipated that students would perhaps attend the lecture part but then as the practical exercise in the Q&A session began we expected a, a drop-off in terms of student numbers as students begin to sort of leave the session and go about their day so something that we found really surprising and in a pleasant way was that this even though we expected or anticipated a drop-off of student numbers consistently each week we had about 95 percent of students staying for the duration of the full session up to the end of the q a in fact the majority of the time we had to cut the session short because we weren't able to get through all the questions and we didn't want to hold students behind in terms of the, allow them to kind of get um get into the activities that they were talking about but it was just for us, a pleasant surprise to see that students really engaged with every component of the session. So what would you say are your biggest findings on what makes an effective question and answer block, Stuart? I think as we've discussed in this session so far, it's giving the students something to generate those questions and giving them time to uh, reflect on the material we've delivered. So that practical exercise space, I think, was really key to uh, having an effective question and answer session. Selena? So just to add to that, we've thought about the, the kind of the takeaways from our experience in teaching this and what we would like to do in the future, how we will change this, but also what we found particularly effective. And to this end, we've actually come up with a list of considerations or reflections in terms of what makes Q&As effective. So to summarize, what we have found is that Q&As, and this does take a kind of consistent format that's hopefully quite catchy, um, but they are... Um, so Q&As in general, we found, are more productive when they have a theme or a goal that they are tied to for a particular session. They're more constructive if they include a practical component. They're more effective if they encourage reflection based on the content that students have participated or engaged with. Um, they're more engaging if students view them as beneficial to their learning. There needs to be essentially a, a value that students are able to see and, and quantify in terms of why they should participate in this. The Q&As are more accessible if there are multiple ways of engaging with them, which is why we have made them available online, recorded, and why we have forums to complement the online live Q&As. And they're more efficient when they're adequately provisioned, by which we obviously mean that by having one lecturer responsible for running both the live sessions and the Q&A and the chat, it's really quite overwhelming. So we have written out expanded descriptions of our observations for each of these topics that hopefully will be made available after this. Sure, that'll be there in the show notes. <laughs> and so you said that one of your first point there was that this most useful, I forget whether you used the word constructive or useful or efficient for this one. Productive. Um, productive when there's a theme. So by that, do you mean that you asked the students to do something and then invited them for comments on a particular aspect of that? Or is linking it to the activity giving it a theme? We wanted to make sure that questions were kind of targeted towards a particular topic based on what we were covering that week. Okay, great. And you've made it really clear what the benefits for the students are in this. So Stuart, do you find that there are actually a lot of benefits as a staff member to this as well? Yeah, there is, absolutely. Um, one of the main benefits is 
I mean, the level of engagement with questions, as Alina said, was, was, was fantastic throughout all of the sessions, something that we almost didn't quite anticipate at the start. But, what the, but teaching these sessions in this particular way and using this question and answer forum in this particular way has given us such a better understanding of what sort of questions students have in relation to the dissertation process, which allows us then to build th uh, further materials, resources, uh, and provide answers to those questions and hopefully incorporate some of that that feedback into our uh, into our teaching and and just to kind of build on that, we actually did ask the students for feedback on the sessions. Given this was a completely new way of running sessions for us, it was really important for us to to ratify our feeling that the classes went went well and that the students were very engaged. Uh, and the feedback that we got, again, expecting to an extent whether the feedback would be would be as good as we expected or not, the feedback was excellent and it really showed that each individual component of the classes was equally valued by the students. This structure has worked and it's been really, really useful for the way that we teach and perhaps has actually been more effective than how we used to teach in the purely didactic lecture format. So it's really also given us a lot of um, takeaways to think about in terms of our teaching practice, not only during the kind of COVID times when we have to work online, but actually thinking about how we'll work going forward and thinking about that asynchronous uh, and synchronous delivery model as well and how we can make our, our uh, teaching as open and accessible to as many students as possible. And Alina, did anything jump out from the feedback to you or, and, and was there a particular way that you asked for it? Did you ask for feedback on specific aspects of it? Yeah. So when we, when we asked students for feedback, we wanted to see whether the format worked for them. We wanted to find out whether they were able to access it. But when we asked students questions, we had anticipated the majority of the response to be from students who had participated in our live sessions. So even though we included questions such as, if you, if you looked at the recordings online, what were your findings or did you engage with the materials on Moodle, we had expected the majority of the responses to come from students who had attended the live classes. So we were surprised to find that that wasn't really the case. In fact, it was about 50-50 in terms of students who had purely looked at the pre-recorded or sorry, students who have purely looked at the recordings of the lectures, the practical exercises that were posted up on Moodle and the Q&A forums, as opposed to being able to attend our live sessions. And in the feedback, what we were surprised and, and pleased to see was the volume of students saying that they were really pleased to have these classes available online and to be able to engage with them because otherwise they wouldn't have been able to, or in the past they weren't able to engage with our content because they couldn't make it into, um, into campus or because they were on placement, etc. So while for us, there's obviously the consideration that our classes are open to all students, but they're not compulsory. So it is worth bearing in mind that, of course, students don't need to attend our sessions. So this idea of being able to kind of access them is an additional benefit. But one of the reasons that we, we didn't have the sessions recorded before was because simply recording a live lecture isn't really an adequate representation of what students would get from experiencing the, the, the taught um, kind of lecture environment. But as these sessions had to be designed to work in this digital space, we felt that having those recordings online would be an effective kind of approximation of being able to attend those classes for the students. And we were really overwhelmed by the positive feedback from students, particularly those that just engaged with, with the recordings. 
Uh, I'm sure that many people who are listening to this or watching this back will also appreciate the fact that maybe while they've been able to finish their teaching at the end of the undergraduate calendar, you've been plugging away with the dissertation students, uh, learning some early lessons that could be passed on to everyone else. So thanks very much for... learned many lessons. Thanks very much for taking the time out to speak to us and all of the people who are watching or listening. If you want to see more details about this uh, as a a case study, if you like, then have a look at the University of Glasgow's webpages on teaching in our new blended and online remote delivery environment. Uh, You can get the top level information on all of that at gla.ac.uk slash blended and the case studies will be linked to pages underneath there. Thanks very much, folks, for joining us. Thank you. Thank you.